I, I want to help people. I want to share things about myself that I kept private. Are you not confident about your product stacking up against pharma? If we're going to fight big pharma, you better do the damn research behind it. The wheels are going to keep spinning because we will just do perpetual studies constantly with the products that we are working on and developing. Welcome to another incredible episode of Weed Buds Radio, one of our first episodes here in 2021. We want to wish all of you, our listeners, a happy new year. And to kick off the new year, let's let's get into the excitement. There are so many entrepreneurs at the end of 2020 that continue to innovate and research and, and dial in their expertise. And I am so excited that we are, a new year has emerged upon us. A lot of us are, are ready and excited and the individuals that did not take 2020 as an excuse to do nothing, I see a lot of really amazing things happening for them in, in 2021. And for some of us that maybe we were a little slower on the draw in 2020, it's not too late. Now is the time to build the foundation. And so we're really excited that you are a part of the Weed Buds radio community. And today I want to kick us off and introduce us to Christina, who has been doing amazing, amazing clinical research. And I think we're going to learn a lot about how research is really starting to make its way in the cannabis space. It's allowing us as entrepreneurs to understand more about the plant. And it's also allowing us to help keep our customers safe. And I know patient advocacy is a high priority for our next guest. And so, Christina, welcome to Weed Buds Radio. Thank you so very much for having me today, Rye. I was very excited to be part of one of the first episodes of 2021. I have to say, I was one of those individuals plugging through strong and hard in 2020. Ended the year with the white paper that we released on our transdermal patch efficacy study that we performed for spectral analytics and uh, we're coming into 2021 strong and hard i actually drafted my first uh, chapter of my book uh, right into the new year so i was really proud and excited uh, because i'm not an author <laughs> you know, like, what the hell do i know about writing a book um, but i decided last year that it was time for me to share some things with people of uh, my journey. I launched my brand. I am Christina D'Archangelo in July, and um, we've stayed pretty focused on what we're doing with that. And everything that I do in my professional career obviously feeds into my brand. I am Christina D'Archangelo because at the end of the day, that's who I am as a person. So thank you so much. Amazing. And I love that you're writing a book and I love that you said, you know, what business do I have writing a book? How do I start writing a book? Because of, of course, our friend Mike Major of Green Lane Communication, who awesomely put uh, this episode together and connected us, you know, he and I kind of felt the same way. You know, last year, 2020, we were talking and he asked me, you know, what, what can I be doing? Yeah, I want to be doing something. And it was just, there was and really only that lull of the first month of uncertainty and people kind of started to figure it out. And he had asked me, he said, you know, I, I want to start a podcast, but I have no business starting a podcast. I don't know how to start a podcast. And so I told him like, if you teach others how to start a podcast, you will learn it 
even more in depth yourself. And so I, you know, coaching him, we put together a course called Two Weeks to Launch to help people launch their own podcast in, in two weeks. And what, you know, he really seemed to, to identify is like, once you just make the commitment, so like with you, I'm going to write a book, I'm going to make this course, I'm going to make a podcast, <laughs> it happened. And so I love that you not only said, I'm going to make this book, but you, you've started it. And yes. that's how you're going to kick off the year with momentum. Yes, and it's very like, you know, strong, you know, I'm from the city of Philadelphia, I live right outside. So the city of brotherly love, you know, props, you know, Rocky, he's one of my heroes, you know, I'm Italian, American, as you guys know, D'Arcangelo is clearly a Paisano name. And so for me, it's kind of like that whole Rocky, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna knock this out, you know, like, I'm here, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to get this done. I, I, I want to help people. I want to share things about myself that I kept private for many, many years mm. and just worked, worked through things, you know, and the, the premise of the book, I'm ha I can share that with, with awesome. you today. And you're the first one that I'm actually sharing this with, honestly. Um, our boy, Mike, of course, knows the whole backbone of the book, being a publisher, ex-publisher. <laughs> he's my guru, you know, he's my guy. Plus he handles the PR for Spectral Analytics. Christina D'Archangelo as well as Affinity Bio Partners. So he's, you know, he's my go-to guy. So what, what I decided to write about was my significant relationships with males that I actually had relationships with. So my first true love, all the way up to current day, where uh, 2020, I finalized my divorce. So all during this time, from the early, like late 1990s to where we are today, I have developed myself into this person I am today. And many of these relationships, good, bad, or indifferent, made me who I am today. And both professionally and personally impacted me. And it's funny because right, I was thinking about this last night again, because I focus and think meditatively at night because during the day I'm on fire, clinical research, yeah. patient advocacy, my son, I'm a single mom, you know, I have all this stuff going on and I'm, I'm working on COVID studies on the traditional side. So I still split myself between traditional and the fun side, which is cannabis and CBD and nutraceuticals. I say fun because that's really where I'm using my talents, you know? Mm. Um, but I, I thought about something really funny, which was, as I finished my first chapter that I alluded to, and I was thinking about my second chapter, which I actually started writing this morning, I carved out like an hour of time where I just was writing. And I noticed that I get new cars during these, so when I ended this one, my first true love relationship, I had gotten a new car. I got rid of the car I had when I was with him. And then I'm thinking about my second relationship, which was my first marriage. I was married twice, uh, very young um, the first time. When things were getting rocky and stuff, and we were gonna get a divorce, I bought a new car. So it's like, what's, what's this deal with this new car thing? Like, So what's I, the theory? Because now that you're saying that, I'm looking back and reflecting and now I'm trying to wonder if the type, make, and model of the car was <laughs> any sort of reflection. But yes, like you, that's a thing. 
Right. Like, and, it, and I improved every time. Let me tell you, right. I approved, improved. Like, you know, the first car I ever bought when I first got out of college was a Z26 Beretta um, Chevy. I, I was American made uh, because my dad was blue collar. He's a, he was a teamster. He was president of the Steelworkers Union. He worked for the Pennsylvania Turnpike Commission. He worked for a steel company. So blue collar, U.S. only. That was what was grained in my brain. And so that's what my first car was. And it was like this like weird color to like a raspberry color with like purple pinstripes, like a Barbie car, like a Barbie yeah. car, which, you know, knowing me today as I have all black on, you know, most people think I'm from New York all the time because I don't like a lot of color. <laughs> and so I don't know what happened, but I kind of got tired of it. And, he, you know, he drove it a lot. He was a cop. So and people knew that car, you know, and everything. And so I decided I'm just going to get rid of it. So I traded it in for a Grand Prix GTP supercharge because I like fast things, as you could tell, to drive. <laughs> and so here I am in my, you know, my early 20s with this GTP that, you know, what, zero to 60. And I don't know, back then, what, three minutes, which was fast, <laughs> you know, but it's interesting. I noticed that last night. It's weird. But it just shows like kind of like I'm noticing things about myself now as I'm writing this book. And I'm hoping that it also heals me because there's parts mm. that need to be healed, um, especially my last relationship. You know, my my last husband with my that I had a child with. That was a whole, you know, I don't know anything about having kids. And, <laughs> you know, so it's been it's been interesting. You know, my son's going on eight this February. So, you know, we've been in it to win it. We've been successful. He's here. <laughs> That's <advice>. amazing. <laughs> That's incredible. So like, I just, I'm blown away right now because I'm thinking of like all of these theories right now. I never would have imagined that, but it's, I guess a lot of times, right? When we make a big transition in our personal life that those things, uh, those things can happen, right? Whether it's nesting or getting rid of something and, and, yes. and embracing something new, which I guess like a lot of these are great theories for ending 2020 and starting a new year. That's right. I mean, it's amazing. And it, it, that's the thing you got to really sit back. And I talk about this in the beginning of my book about building your toolbox. Mm-hmm. So peripherally over the years, I've been building my toolbox, both professionally and personally. So this evidently, this bar, you know, car buying thing must be some kind of tool I do or use to, you know, kind of purge, get rid of, you're right, the bad energy, whatever it was that's symbolic about that, it goes away sure. and we move on and we start anew. So do you think that you clearly having this affinity for deep reflection was a natural progression to get into research and advocacy? You know, it's funny you ask me that because I've always had this, this ability to connect with people um, and reflect. This was something that I learned early on in my life through my dad. Um, my dad, you know, a lot of times if people read interviews about me or, or, or listen to podcasts or whatever, it, and I get that question, well, why am I who I am? What's my foundation? And what's made me who I am today? I give a lot of the credit to my dad. Um, he involved me very young as a kid in a lot of these different things, both politically, because he was very politically active 
being a steel worker, you know, uh, growing up, that's how I grew up. So, and my dad was president of the steel workers union. So in our community where I grew up, which is Phoenixville, he was very well known and everybody knew us because of my dad. And so he used to take me to a lot of these meetings and he would teach me how to listen, watch, anticipate, and try to figure out what's going on, what's the next step from these people. Always know what somebody's holding back from you. So I do that internally as well. Like I reflect on, and I've done this all, you know, as, as, as far as I can remember back, like how things happen. And, you know, my, my grandmother used to say, you know, what goes around comes around, you know, like everything is for you and not against you. And so I think it's just been a building block and it's been helpful. Although sometimes I overanalyze things, I'm doing better with that. Um, but I used to overanalyze. So I spent a lot of time thinking about things unnecessarily, which then thereby causes anxiety. And I don't want to have anxiety. <laughs> you know? So how do you overcome that? Because that's that's a very entrepreneurial thing, I think, as well, because we're always in you, look look at a brain of, you know, the the reptilian brain, the, the mammal brain and, and really the primate brain. It's like we've got these natural triggers within us, but now we also have this this neocortex that like amplifies that. If you're prone to that anxiety and you're prone to that overanalysis, you now add this, you know, third dimension of the brain that's like, oh, I'm going to take that and put it on steroids. Right. So how do you um, battle and overcome that? Well, it's 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 not been easy. I got to tell you, I, I've struggled. I've struggled with this over the years. Like it's been tough. Um, I can tell you over the past year, just this past year, and believe it or not, during this pandemic, you would think, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. She was able to kind of compartmentalize this in a better manner. How was this possible? Well, I started seeing a therapist. <laughs> I never, I never saw a therapist before. And here I'm an advocate and I advocate for patients all the time. And, and I say, go to therapy, do this, do that. My son's in therapy. My dad went to therapy. Why didn't I think that I need to be? So I started going. And this was one of the things that I kept talking about with my therapist about how like it's like a hamster wheel. My brain just goes round and round and round and round. And then finally, I'm like, oh, I've had enough. So what, what we've been doing is, and, and, and thank God, um, is that I shut it down. Like if I think about it for too long and too long for me is more than one day mm -hmm. um, because I can get out of control with it. You know, it could go on for weeks for all, for all I know. Um, and what I do is if I think about it um, for more than a day, then I write about it. I write about it. I get it off my chest. Like, what is it that's bothering me about this? There's something that's bothering me and that's what's causing me to think about it. And the other thing is I had to change my positioning in general, where I come from a trust standpoint, whereas before I didn't trust anybody, anything. And, you know, being in business, whether you're in cannabis business, which, you know, Versus even traditional pharma, you guys know what goes on over there. You read it in the newspapers. It's not, you know, teacups and roses over there either. So, and the way I grew up, 
there was not a lot of trust, right? You know, for the things that I've observed that happened to my dad and his and workers and things like all the injustice and then health issues and all this stuff. So now I've changed that point of view of, okay, I have to trust every person I meet. They come from that place with me. And this is where I'm starting off. So it's made it easier for me to pivot and not drive myself crazy over analyzing things. So as a researcher, how how can you not overanalyze, you know, all of these data points that you're collecting? I mean, this is going to be something that for me, it's like, I love, I love the, the social sciences. I love exploring all, you know, everything that can, you know, help make me per- more productive, help me contribute more to my community. But I can't even imagine all of the data points between the companies that you work for that like being in charge of research for this, like, how are you computing this? How are you analyzing this? And then how are you utilizing this, you know, for for advocacy? Yes, that's a good question. So I'm really excited about 2021 because quietly and 2020 with Spectral, we've been working on an e-platform. And what I mean by that is electronic data capture. Now, people who work in biotech and pharmaceuticals know this, know the acronym EDC. Yep, yep, uh-huh, this is how we capture data. Well, in the cannabis industry, nobody's doing that. There isn't anybody. They're talking about this anecdotal de- evidence that they've seen, surveys they've done through SurveyMonkey, which not is not a credible source <laughs> to validate data from a clinical standpoint. SurveyMonkey is for something like, do you like this hat I'm wearing? Do you like this black shirt? You know, that kind of right. stuff. it's not for clinical research purposes. You know, it wasn't designed for that. Um, and the FDA is not going to, you know, give you the nod for that kind of submission. So what we've been working on with Spectral is developing an overarching system to be able to obtain this data from patients directly, working with physicians. So basically I'm deploying a lot of my know-how from the traditional pharma side over here. So the cool thing is I can act faster because I've seen things on the other side that I know not to do on this side and I know how to move things swiftly right and we also developed an electronic patient reported outcomes um, system as well so we can capture the patient data directly from them so when we develop questionnaires which we're starting an ADHD study on um, this year in the next couple of weeks for children, that's our first, you know, our first push. It's only 20 patients, it's observational. So basically what we did was I had developed questionnaires. There's 15 questions that the parents will complete regarding utilizing two transdermal patches. Um, and basically we're looking at behavioral changes, positive behavioral changes, because in a 30 day study, really how much are you going to be able to gather? But each one of these patients, their parents will have to go in once a week and enter the data. So when we get that data back, I'll be able to see if this patch is working to the, the effectiveness that we think just very high level. We haven't pulled blood yet. We haven't done anything yet. The next step 
is to design a real clinical trial. What I mean by that is having a true protocol, a submission to the Institutional Review Board, um, data points that we're collecting per case report form that feeds into the EDC system that I mentioned. So you see how all this is kind of going to be the wheel that keeps spinning? Well, on the bus that we're on, the wheels are gonna keep spinning because we will just do perpetual studies constantly with the products that we're working on and developing that I'm proud that, to be working on, but also even other clients through Affinity Biopartners that I'm supporting. So I'm getting ready to launch a very, very secretive medical cannabis study. Um, I say secretive because it's going to be against a traditional pharmaceutical product versus a proprietary medical cannabis product. This is the first study in the world being done this way. Nobody's doing it. Why isn't anybody doing this? Are you not confident about your product stacking up against pharma? If we're gonna fight big pharma, you better do the damn research behind it. Pardon me for the curse words today. <laughs> no pardon necessary because for the audience that's been with WeedBuds since the beginning, or if you're joining us now in 2020 and you wanna go back and listen to the very first episode of WeedBuds Radio, this is what we're talking about. And, and we were positioned ourselves to, to advocate for patients and, and for education in a way that you nailed it in the way that you said that. Why is the industry not making this more of a priority and, and collaboratively? Because they, we, we make a lot of claims and you know these things are expensive. But does that mean that that we don't do them? I don't. I don't know. I certainly don't think so. But this triggers like and Christine. I'm so glad we're going to have to talk so much more throughout the year because this is triggering so much thought. But based off of what you just shared with me, I could could your research and the data that's being collected from a study like this could that like. Could that really trigger a ripple effect of studying maybe more natural ways to treat and target ailments that traditionally we felt that only one pharmaceutical could do? That hits the nail on the head for me. I I I wish the guests could see us uh, live, you know, you know, together, um, because the whole time I was shaking my head, like, yes, you're absolutely right. If, okay, there's a lot of different things here. I'm getting excited because this is- I know, if is, you're tuning in, is, we'll put this video on, on YouTube as well, because you know I'm here at my standing desk and I keep getting closer and closer and everything's shaking. But this is, this truly is, this is why we started the show to to talk about these things, to bring awareness to these things. And and, and this is it. And, and people like yourself and, and our good for dear friend, Nick Jickums at, at Leafly, you know, neuroscientists, like, there's there are people you know audience there are individuals out there that are fighting for us so christy i just i'm blown away right now but yeah so this this could have a ripple effect yes on research in, in the industry absolutely are okay so when you said there's a pharmaceutical product for xyz and you're told okay you have xyz wrong okay i have two autoimmunes so let's pick on me so i have fibromyalgia and hashimoto so there's both pharmaceutical products to treat both of these elements. So I have these things wrong with me. Instead of 
from a medicinal standpoint and the way healthcare is right now, what they do is you get diagnosed, you're prescribed medicine pharmaceutically. Here you go, here you go. Now, I have a Pennsylvania card as well. So I'm a cannabis holder. I have been holding um, my card since 2018, which has been so helpful for me because from a research standpoint, I understand the plants and I understand all these things. However, when you're a patient, then you really get to try CBG, CBD, CBN, CBD, you know, E, all these different things, terpenes, what the hell are terpenes, all these things, right? I've learned all this stuff being a patient, which has really helped me with what I'm trying to do with Spectral, at Spectral, is to develop treatments for the person based on where they are today, rather than saying, here, take these two pills. Oh, take this blue kush dream, blah, 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 smoke it, do whatever, make it into an edible, take an RSO, do this, do that. Do we really know if that's gonna help the patient? No. Do we understand what they're deficient in from an endocannabinoid standpoint? No. Do we know what their their gut biome is doing? No. Do we know where their cortisol levels are? No. We don't know any of this. This is what we're doing at Spectral. This is amazing. Well, I mean, my mind is is so blown right now. And of course, you know, Christine, I had I had notes. We have you know C.J. Britton, who's a good friend and mutual mm-hmm. friend of us, and Mike. And so there was all these things that I was so prepared to ask you, and I'm just I'm overwhelmed with with where we go, other than to to do another episode soon. But I want to. You mentioned the COVID studies that that uh-huh. you're, you're helping with as well. And so now, okay. You know, you've thrown this at me and you know, <laughs> my mind's going crazy. And now you've thrown this. Now, I want to preface this. I say, like, I have been more or less other than imperative travel. I've been, you know, quarantined and kind of self-isolated since last March. I certainly would never, ever minimalize COVID. I would never, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I wear my mask. And so right. I just, I want to preface that, you know, but one of the things that I've noticed, and you know, my, my mother is in administration for you know different hospital systems and um, has been very active and, and just really committed herself during this time. And I asked her the other day, and now I'm gonna ask you, and just it's it's totally a, a curiosity, is that when I look at the CDC website of, you know, for example, influenza in, in 2019, and let's just take, you know, week 51, week 52, and you look at the map and you see the cases, and then you look at the influenza map in 2020, and I, I think there was, uh, you know, just a, a couple of, of isolated areas, and it, and it made me curious because I I know that COVID can really amplify anything else that's going on with the body. And again, I'm a simpleton. I have no idea. And this is why, you know, I'm just proposing the question. But are we sometimes, are we like, we see the COVID, we diagnose that, and there's this other ailment that maybe we should be fighting so we can fight the COVID head on. Mm -hmm. I don't, again, I don't know. I'm asking. No, that's a great question. And when when the audience gets to watch, you know, us on Zoom, they'll see I was shaking my head. Yes, you're absolutely right. So the problem with COVID is not the COVID itself, the virus. Yes, the virus is terrible. Okay, I'm not going to minimize that. And, you know, I've developed two protocols and I submit it directly to the FDA through CEDAR 
the PINDs for these studies. I was working with Dr. Shaw from the FDA early on in March when we only had 169,000 cases worldwide. So I've been in this COVID game for since March, since you started to quarantine and all of us, right? Um, the problem with the COVID, and I say the COVID because it's you know a, a, it's a it's a disease is that it does infiltrate other things in your body. So think about lupus. Everybody can understand lupus, that it lupus attacks organs in your body. Well, essentially COVID does as well. By doing, and here's how, the clots, blood clots. What happens with COVID is it throws all these blood clots all throughout your body. That's why people die from uh, pulmonary embolisms and all these different things it's because they have clots and the clots can carry throughout their body. So when you have a bunch of clots in an organ, the organ shuts down and you go into, you know, whatever, renal failure, liver failure, whatever it ends up being. That is what's being the killer to these patients. But it's as a result of having COVID initially. Also, a lot of these patients are predisposed, right? Like I disclosed today, I have two autos. So you better believe I've been quarantining, masks, gloves, everything. I don't go anywhere as an executive not being able to fly. I mean, I was sleeping in my guest room in the summer so I could pretend I was in a hotel because it was like a psychological thing for me not to travel. Yeah. I was grounded. So I get it, I get it. But you're right, it's, it's the underlying factors that are, I would consider palliative issues that kill the patients, not COVID itself. It's like cancer. Patients don't die from cancer. They die from the complications due to having cancer. That's what happened to my dad. That makes that makes a lot of sense. And that, that helped clarify. Because again, like I said, it was just, it was a hypothesis that it's, we, we know, and no matter what you look at throughout history, nobody's been very successful fighting two wars at once. And so it to me, it just seemed like, well, maybe the flu could not have just, you know, miraculously gone away. And so, you know, are there people that are that are getting both? And, you know, that amplification, you know, is leading to other consequences or, you know, those those two things combined can, you know, then bring on, you know, pneumonia or what whatever could then be the next part of this tragic avalanche of of, of symptoms. That's exactly what happens. And also in emerging countries like the Dominican Republic, for example, one of my clients has an approved product in the DR for cancer. Some of those cancer patients contracted COVID in the Dominican. They started taking the oncology approved product and that product started helping the COVID symptoms. And also after a certain time period of being on the product for their oncology problem, and then COVID, they tested negative for COVID. So the leading hospital in the DR contacted the sponsor, the company that is responsible for this product and said, can we do a clinical study? We think that your product is helping COVID patients. So sure enough, they enrolled 80 patients. All 80 patients came back COVID negative. We took all that data two weeks ago and I submitted that to the FDA because we had already had a PIND submission in for them. 
that was one of the new the studies I started. I think it was April I started working on. So it just points back to your whole question to me, which is, is there an underlying problem? And then the person gets COVID and then it's just all worse. Here's a great example of oncology patients then contracting COVID and then luckily taking a product that they're able to take in a country that they live in that helped their COVID and all their palliative issues. This is incredible. So transitioning from this, because we, we have to wrap up this episode <laughs> soon. I just, we, I'm so excited to, to have more follow-up and to follow your companies and your research and, and to read your book. I mean, now we've connected on a personal level. <laughs> this has just been, been such a, a powerful experience for me today. And, and I hope for all of you tuning in. I want to talk about quick before we close, Christina, this First of all, I want to talk about you know why why we're you're even doing this. This is you know just something that's obviously so dear to your heart in terms of patient advocacy. But there has to be another layer to that. And so, like, what where does this fight come from? Well, I, I kind of alluded to you know the premise of my dad, like my dad fighting for people getting the ERISA Act passed when when what would happen is if your dad passed away and had a pension, when he died, it would not pass down to your mom and thereby being able to take care of all you guys, right? It would just go back into the fund, right? It just kept going back. So my dad was the type of person that fought for people. And so I was modeled very young. So that's part of it. But then also I have been I've helped so many people throughout my career with the clinical research where I've seen value add, especially the past four years that I've been in the cannabis and CBD. I'm going on my fifth year this May, but also being a patient myself, that fuels it, but my son. So I have my son, I mentioned, he has um, ADHD and then he has four other uh, disorders along with that, that are emotional based disorders. So he's only going to be eight and we were lucky enough. Luckily, I pushed it, you know, last year, before last year, that there were some issues I had identified. I mean, I noticed when he was four, there were issues I was watching from a clinical standpoint, not from a mom, because I'm like a trifecta. I'm a mom, I'm an advocate and I'm a researcher. So I have to carefully wear my hats, even with my son, because at my heart, that's my, my number one he's my son I'll you know always have his back till my last breath so I have to be careful and balanced but I'm very good about that because it becomes a job for me and I don't mean to seem insensitive to the people listening to this but for me to be successful I have to look at it as a job and so that's why our first patch that's coming out the gates for spectral is an ADHD patch because uh, luckily our CEO Stephen Adler is behind the ADHD movement. He has a lot of friends and people that have been impacted by ADHD in a negative manner. These kids have a lot of social implications besides the disease itself. And so if we can help them get on track, and I've worked on an ADHD drug, a pharmaceutical drug, I don't know, 10 years ago in my career. So this is, I, again, 
I'm using all my tools in my toolbox to be successful. But that's the real story and the real reason why I, I do what I do is to help people. That's just something I was, it's in my blood. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Christina, I'm so grateful to you for joining us today and uh, just introducing yourself to us. I'm so excited. I hope that you will join us again soon. Absolutely. There's so much more to talk about. Uh, before we close today, what is the best way for our audience to stay connected to you? Well, I think my Instagram is the best way um, because I see every message that comes in. Every, you know, I do have PR teams um, that are working for my brand. Thank God I'm blessed. I'm so blessed because I'm not a PR person. I mean, what? I don't know. <laughs> like, that's not my skill set. Um, so my Instagram is I am Christina D'Arcangelo. Uh, that's the way to find me. Professionally, LinkedIn also is a great way to find me, uh, which is just Christina D'Arcangelo on LinkedIn. You'll see all my companies, everything I'm doing. You'll see the stuff I'm doing for Spectral, uh, supporting them as their chief R&D officer. I'm super excited about everything that we're doing. So I think those two avenues are the best way um, to get a hold of me. And I always respond to people. I'm not one of those people that doesn't respond. I make it a point of responding because you, you contacted me for a reason. It's my duty to respond. Amazing. Amazing. Well, and to our audience at home, we're so grateful to all of you for tuning in, for listening to our story here today, and for all of our stories. We're so excited to be a part of, of this community. That's It's your community. And to be able to be in a position to do this for another year has uh, an incredible honor for, for me. And so that is because of all of you. So happy new year and be sure to head over to weedbudsradio.com. You'll get all of the show notes for today's episode. Of course, how to connect with Christina, her Instagram and LinkedIn. So just head over to our website, click the show notes and we'll make sure that you all can stay connected and we will see you on the next episode of Weed Buds Radio.